This is the Oanda Podcast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, talking to Oanda senior market analysts from across the world. And today it's Craig Earlham in London. Craig, good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm very good. How are you? Very well. Now, considering it's August, it's been a pretty busy week. What was a highlight for you? Yeah, it's been quite uh, an eventful week, really. I mean, when you consider the fact that there's not exactly been many headlines, it's not like there's been massive data points or or, or big event-driven um, moves in the markets. It's, it, it's kind of just been a, a case of we we got the week off to uh, quite a, a turbulent start with the moves in the commodity space, the flash crash in gold. But in the equity space, it's not really been volatile, but we've just been seeing these steady gains. Uh, European indices trading at record highs. The Eurostox 50 has made seven consecutive days of gains, um, which I think it's the first time it's done that since 1999. So it's almost kind of like out of nowhere, we've seen a lot of positivity emerging in these markets. And we're just seeing European stocks chipping away. And um, almost in the background, we hear a lot about US indices being at record highs, but maybe just not enough about the fact that European indices have got there relatively quietly. Um, So there has been um, plenty of action in these markets markets. Um, currency markets have been a little bit quieter, uh, if I'm perfectly honest. But elsewhere, like I say, it has been quite an interesting week. Oil continues to slide in price, uh, perhaps some pressure from the US. One of the reasons behind that. So again, it's been a really interesting week for oil. So at the start of the week, we started to see oil coming off or we saw oil continuing to come off its highs and actually go back towards the lows it was at last month. And that was driven by it seems kind of growth concerns. We've seen the Delta spread in China. We're talking about relatively low number of cases, but what we have in China compared to other countries is the crackdowns are a lot more severe and come a lot quicker. Um, so even though the numbers are still quite low, we are seeing pretty uh, severe restrictions being put in place. Uh, you can see, for example, one of the busiest ports in the world uh, in China um, actually being partially closed. Um, yesterday, that announcement came um, it, because there was a single case. So this is a t- one of the terminals that port has been closed because of a single case. I mean, you wouldn't see that anywhere else, but in China, they're very much trying to get in control of of the spread before it becomes in any way um, a significant problem. But the fact that there are little cases popping up here and there is causing great concern that while we're not saying it necessarily will get out of hand there, but if you continue to put restrictions in place, then that's going to affect growth. But it's also going to affect the supply chains because we've seen that talked about a lot about these supply chain issues, bottlenecks um, uh, emerging as a result. So I think there is that little bit of concern that because we're seeing surging cases in China, but also elsewhere, that's really taken the uh, taken the wind out of the sails of uh, of crude, and we've seen it push back towards the lows. I think in Brent, in Brent crude is around sixty seven dollars, um, in WTI crude around sixty five dollars. It came off, it came off the lows over the last couple of days, but then it. Um, but then it, it turned lower again. We had commentary from the White House um, pushing for OPEC to turn on the taps more, saying that they're not doing enough, they're not putting getting oil back online quick enough and that prices are too high. We've become used to this over the last four or five years with the Trump White House. Trump t- spoke a lot about oil and spoke a lot about OPEC. Um, maybe expected a little bit less from the Biden administration, but clearly trying to give OPEC a bit of a nudge here probably will make very little difference in terms of their decision making on that front, especially when we're going into a period over the next few months where we could see demand growth um, lag a little bit because of the, the, the spread of Delta. 
and then finally, and then finally, like I say, the port closure today seems to have have um, uh, have taken, given it a bit of a, a, a hit once more. So yeah, it has been a bit of a volatile week as far as crude is concerned. Where it trades now, we've got like uh, we've got WTI just shy of sixty nine dollars, Brent crude just shy of seventy one. So really not too far. Um, from those lows, but very much still range bound between those kind of broad ranges, 65, 75 in WTI and 67, 77 for Brent. Interesting what you were saying before about the coronavirus numbers across Europe. Not quite the same in the USA, is it? There are continual concerns about certain states, perhaps those that haven't been vaccinated to the same extent, that have seen rising numbers. I know markets were a bit spooked by that earlier on in the week is that now settled down so i think the, the the greater concern is china i think the us is going to be very reluctant to impose severe restrictions at this point um so i think the greater concern is probably china on that side of things we are seeing obviously cases spreading uh, in the us as well and as you've already alluded to it does seem to be appearing more in the places where we've seen low vaccination rates um and I think that's going to be a really interesting one to follow because, because as I say, there is going to be a, a, a real reluctance to impose uh, any form of severe restrictions. But th- what we have to remember from an economic standpoint, it's not just the restrictions that are imposed on people, it's also the restrictions that people impose on themselves. Uh, it's the way it influences people's behaviour, the decisions to go to a sporting event, to go to a restaurant, um, to see friends. Um, obviously, some people are going to be a little bit more lax than others. But on on an aggregate level, if people are being a little bit more rest- restrictive themselves because they're seeing um, this kind this kind of surge, then that's going to take an e- e- economic toll as well. Um, so it is going to be interesting to monitor the kind of situation with the US over the course of the next few months. And also elsewhere, um, the ZEW survey this week from Germany and the other area was really interesting because it, it dipped quite considerably. Um, despite the fact that the economy is doing quite well. And the two reasons that were given for the dip, um, and it dipped far more than was expected, was one, that the, that while they were happy with where the economy had got to, they actually thought a large portion of the growth that they were expecting happened already, um, and that could therefore mean lower growth in the coming quarters. But also the second was the Delta variant, and this is places with high vaccine rates. But I think the uncertainty that the spread that Delta gives um, uh, and what it means in terms of people's behaviours and, uh, uh, and, and the like, I think that is something that took its toll on a survey in countries where their vaccination rates are extremely high. I think that's going to be something that's going to be really interesting to monitor over the next few months. I, I still remain quite optimistic, but that is certainly a downside risk. Just one story I wanted to ask you about, uh, Craig. On Wednesday, we were discussing the big Poly Network cryptocurrency hack. Poly Network, of course, lost at the time $610 million. Poly Network asked the hacker very politely if he or she would return the money, and it's actually happened. The hacker has returned the money and has been offered half a million dollars as a thank you. We don't quite know whether the hacker has accepted the offer yet, but what a story. Yeah, it's been all been handled extremely politely. I mean, I think I think there was a few interesting takeaways really from this story. One is that the hacker is, has, has suggested that it was never their intention to keep the money, that, that what they effectively wanted to show is that it can be done and that there is a vulnerability within the network and it's almost part of the joy it brings them is highlighting these flaws and that they are uh, a crypto enthusiast themselves. They've been offered uh, half a million as kind of a thank you reward because um, they believe that this was a genuine attempt to expose a flaw as opposed to an actual uh, malicious hack. 
and but they but they it seems that they've rejected the cash because they've said that this isn't what they're after that they don't need the money effectively but then equally i think they've opened up a kind of like a maybe it's not a, a just giving account but they've offered or opened up a kind of donation account for for other crypto enthusiasts to kind of donate to the cause so it's it's a very funny story it's a very strange story but i think what's really important and i think that almost the kind of biggest takeaway from this is the way that the community rallied around uh, this, what happened, this hack happened, and this entire community of uh, of people uh, rallied around to try and uh, make this as difficult as possible to try and cut off all avenues for the hacker to withdraw these funds and to successfully get away with any cash um, whatsoever. So I think that was one of the really real interesting takeaways. The kind of flip side of that is if what this hacker has said is genuine and it you read the messages and it does actually seem quite genuine if the intention was never to get away with the cash then you don't really know how successful all of this has been and if this was a malicious hack and this was an attempt to steal 600 million dollars or the the hacker suggested it could have been a billion if they, if they wanted to uh, then would the community have been able to stop it and would they have been as successful or, or would it have really exposed a deep flaw? Who I guess we'll never know and it may be something that will come in the future. But I, th I think as you said, it just makes it a really fascinating story uh, to follow because uh, you look at something like the stable coins with Tether, they, they could just freeze Tether, so they could just freeze um, uh, the, the 33 million of coins, but it's not possible on the other the other networks and therefore it becomes very much this kind of this kind of match uh, between the community and the hacker to see who can who can effectively win out at the end of the day and it seems that this time they were both on the same side but it may not be the case in the future so i think this is going to be a really interesting one to watch because one thing it has done irrespective of everything that's followed since is it, it's shown that these that these um that there are vulnerabilities, especially in a network like this one, uh, that are still vulnerable, uh, still relatively new, and therefore can be, uh, and therefore can be exposed. And um, we'll see how uh, these type of things will materialize going forward. Because one thing again that we've seen a lot of re uh, this this week is that there have been a lot of attacks uh, on these particular networks uh, over the course of this year far more than there was last year um and i imagine uh, there's probably this kind of publicity is both going to broaden the defense of it but also going to maybe make it vulnerable to further attack well definitely gets my vote as story of the week before we talk about the week to come uh, i suppose the standout data from this side of the Atlantic in the UK was the latest GDP numbers, which found a growth of 4.8% in Q2. How was that greeted by the markets? I think it was really encouraging data. So the 4.8% itself was actually in line with market expectations, but I think the underlying data was really encouraging. The, the, the fact that it was driven so much in that second quarter by the consumer um, I think was a really important thing. Obviously, we know that the consumer is extremely important in the UK, but it, it's also indicative of behaviour as we were going coming towards the end of restrictions. Remember, this data only covers up to the end of June. Full restrictions ended 
late in July. So there's still a lot of data to come where restrictions had been fully lifted. Um, and we know obviously that the, the Euros, people are going out a lot and um, socialising more, going to bars um, and going to big public gatherings. But the Euros actually finished uh, in the middle of July. So there's, there's going to be a certain amount of carryover uh, there as well. Um, and also the other really encouraging thing was the fact that the monthly figures for June, the month on month readings was more that was higher than expected, driven again by the services uh, industry and services accounts for more than three quarters of total UK output. So the fact that services drove uh, a larger than expected growth number for that final month to quarter in June really does bode well going into the rest of the summer months. Um, so I think there was some really good data within the data uh, of those UK GDP figures, but naturally downside risks remain and we're always looking forward. We've seen uh, a really encouraging reopening. We're seeing good numbers um, compared, compared to what we could have seen uh, on, the, on, on, the, on the virus. Things can change and they can change quickly, but I think there's a lot of cause for encouragement that we are now almost a month in to restrictions being fully lifted and there is absolutely no talk of any being reimposed at this point. Indeed and um, you know anecdotally I mean I've been to central London over the last few days and um, I wouldn't say it's back to what it was but certainly it's busier more people coming in probably from uh, England and the rest of the UK uh, on day trips or for a few days it's good to see central london back there and uh, we have these stories about the shortages of lorry drivers and lorry drivers being offered more money an encouraging sign for uk plc it is and it's interesting that this is kind of now thrown up the i feel like i feel like i've heard a lot more about brexit in the last three or four weeks than i've heard for the last eight months but I think pictures of kind of empty shelves and almost the kind of Brexit versus the pan the pandemic uh, debate has really got really hotted up uh, over the course of the last few weeks. Um, what's the cause of the empty shelves? What's the cause of the labour shortage? And the fact is, it's probably a combination of the two things. If you've got less labour um, uh, since Brexit and you've also got those that are uh, available uh, getting pinged and being forced to stay at home, then the this is going to be the result. But I think the fact that the the pandemic is a temporary thing um, is uh, is something that's, um, that means that we it, none of the none of these downsides should should last. Obviously, if if we continue to see these kind of labour shortages, then it, the, this is something that the government does have to address because wage rises obviously are um, are a positive thing for those employed within the sector. But what we don't want to see is is massive inflation in the UK um, as a result of, way, uh, of of a labour shortage, meaning that wages are having to rise across the board. Because what that ultimately means is the Bank of England are going to have to start taping back their asset purchase programme, raising interest rates to deal with um, more permanent measures of inflation rather than the transitory inflation we're currently seeing. And um, and that could be a real headwind as far as the economy is concerned. So it kind of, the, there's the upside and the downside, I guess, that you can really take away from this. Okay, let's look ahead to the next week or so. Again, we're right at bang in the middle of August, so it's bound to be quieter than usual. What are the standouts that we should look out for? 
So I think next week is going to be very quiet again. There are a few releases which may be of interest, things like the Fed Minutes, although we've heard from a lot of policymakers now over the course of the last week, and it seems very clear that many of them are supporting now tapering uh, towards the end of the year. We'll learn a lot more about that at the Jackson Hole, I imagine, but then the September meeting. Um, but it does seem to be there's a growing consensus view for tapering towards the end of the year. So the Fed minutes will be interesting, but maybe not quite as pivotal or not quite as massive an event as that could be on other occasions. Um, there were a couple of pieces of data scattered, I guess, around that. But to be honest, I think it's just going to be a bit of a quiet week. And I think actually the virus is probably going to be the most prominent thing, especially with the relation to China, because I think that's driving a lot of sentiment in Asia right now in particular. But uh, I think the virus story everywhere is going to continue to dominate, especially in these kind of lighter data and lighter news flow moments that the summer typically brings. Okay, Craig, thanks very much for joining us. Have a very good weekend and we'll speak to you again soon. Thank you. The Oanda Podcast.